Welcome to the Misfit Stars Podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. Never gets less weird. And this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We are so happy that you're here. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Hi. Welcome to podcast day. Thank you so much. It's great to yeah, be here with it's you. It's really good to be here in our living room. I know. We're talking we into microphones always, like normal people. Yeah. We're okay. always in our living room. The microphone thing is a weird twist. It's a strange thing. Once yeah. a week, we just sit down and talk on microphones in our living room like not normal, normal people. Normal humans. No. Yeah. Uh, shall we start with some announcements? Announcements, announcements. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? Oh my gosh, I would love to. Okay, people, so you know that we have a huge debut theater show for Good To Me, the Good To Me show that we're building right now. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful. We're debuting it in Sacramento, California on April 22nd at the gorgeous Sophia Theater. Mm -hmm. It's, I think, literally the nicest room in town. It's, it's like in a beautiful part of town, beautiful modern yeah. theater, a great sound system. Everything about it is very deluxe. We're so honored that they asked us to play there. It is so cool. And we are building you this amazing show. So first of all, go get tickets. If you're listening to this and you're within driving distance of Sacramento, California, you do not want to miss this show. Mm. This is going to be the first of something that's really, really, really cool. Mm -hmm. We're doing so much new stuff, so much exciting, kind of amazing stuff for the live performance. Uh, you're going to be really blown away. You're going to love it. I know. <laughs> oh, the eep is really mo mostly me because I have had no. to do so much technical stuff. It's also, Shannon had, Shan had to write a whole show. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's But I'm so excited. So excited. So get your tickets. Yeah, get the tickets is the first thing. Here is the second thing. We are doing some special secret stuff at this show just for our Misfit Stars supporters. Oh, yeah. And I can't even say more about it than that. But I just want to say, if you are a Northern California person and you're thinking about coming to the show, maybe you already have tickets to the show, but you are not yet a supporter of our work by being a monthly small dollar recurring contributor via Misfit Stars, mm -hmm. now would be a really smart time for you to do that because if you show up at the show and you are not a member of Misfit Stars... There's just a couple things that you won't get to participate well, in that I'm are kind of secret and super cool. There's one that's that is secret, and there's one that I'm actually going to reveal here because but I it's want, not at the show. It's not at the show, but I want to say it because I want people to know if you are a Misfit Stars. Yeah. Another way for me to get this information into your head: we're having a Misfit Stars Sunday brunch the weekend of the show. It's only for Misfit Stars members. Yep. Uh, the the day after the show, uh -huh. one of our uh, dear friends and also Misfit Stars members uh, in in the Sacramento area has agreed to host this in their backyard for us. Um, and, and when we say backyard, they have like a five-acre ranch in the middle of an urban environment. It's like this really magical it's thing. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. But we're having brunch and you're invited. So I've sent out an invitation already to our Misfit Stars newsletter list. Um, there was all the information in there about it uh, and an RSVP link. Make sure you get your RSVP in for the brunch so that we can know to buy food for you. Yes. Okay? So um, we're, uh, the sooner the better so that we can make plans. We've got so many moving parts going that weekend. So <laughs> help us out, Misfit Stars, by RSVPing to that brunch as soon as you can. Uh, so if you're going to be in Sacramento, if you're coming to the show, uh, 
we want you to, we want to see, we want quality time with you. That's yes. what the brunch is all about. So um, we're going to hang out the day after the show and just have a good time. Yes, we are. And we want to use this as an opportunity for people who are listening who are not yet supporting our work via Misfit Stars to start doing that. Why not? Yeah. Why not? First of all, you love us, right? We love you. <laughs> Surely it's not just like not reciprocated, right? It's both ways. It's both ways. And you can support our work all the work that we do in an ongoing way. You just go to misfitstars.com slash support. And when you do that, you will start getting the Misfit Stars emails. And the Misfit Stars emails contain the secret info about the stuff that's, that's right. happening at the show. That's and right. I think it would be very fun for you. So it's just like a little extra treat for you. So if you're not yet a Misfit Stars supporting member, this is your opportunity to become one. Great idea. Yeah, misfitstars.com slash support. Those are some incentives. Pretty good. Okay, the one other announcement we have is that this Friday, mm -hmm. we have our next 80s Kids song coming out. <gasps> ah! Oh, it's such a good one, you okay, guys. So oh my gosh. The 80s Kids Project, to recap, is the is a music project that we're doing this year. We're still working, obviously, on promoting Good To Me, the new album we put out just at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to keep uh, getting the word out about that album for a while. But we wanted to make more new music for you. We love it. While we're doing that. And so we thought we've been keeping this list of songs from when we were kids. We've been keeping a list for like 15 years of songs that we might one day like to make our own versions of, mm -hmm. our own recordings of. Mm -hmm. And so we have started doing that. You might remember last month was the first one. It was the song Wouldn't It Be Good from the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Mm -hmm. This month, we have not yet revealed the title of the song. Oh, uh, you guys, it's an all-time classic, you're though. You're going to love it so much. This one just like pierces me straight through the heart every time I hear it. Me too. And it was so fun to work on it. Can't wait to share it with you. Friday, March 31st, that one comes out. So if you're not yet following me on Spotify as an artist, go do that because then you will be sure to get the release in your feed and be among the first to hear it. So, And also that helps us via Spotify get the music into more people's ear holes. True. Because when you are following an artist, the more people who follow an artist, the more other people who like what you like get it put into That's their right. suggestions. That's right. And you can help us just simply by following it and just being ready and then listening to it today when it comes out, which is this Friday. <laughs> which really is this Thursday night at midnight. So if you're even the lightest bit... Midnight Eastern Yeah, so time. really, 9 p.m. on the West Coast. Yeah. So people, Thursday night at 9 p.m., which is like tomorrow because the podcast comes out on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, it's like a day and a half away from when you're hearing me talk about this. Amazing. Wow, how cool. So cool. Yes. Uh, so Jamie, how uh -huh. are you feeling today? Oh, thank you for asking, sweetheart. You know, I'm feeling two different and opposing things. I'm feeling tired, but stoked. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh man, you and I stayed up so far too late last Way night late. working. Like Shannon came downstairs at like 3.30, slightly after 3.30 a.m. We were both just hard at work, like working, working, working at that time. It's not like we were sort of winding down. We were both fully in it. And she came down, she's like, we might want to make a good decision here. And go to bed. <laughs> and go to bed. And then we found out oh, no. that our bed sheets and our blanket that goes with them that we had put in the wash earlier that day, neither of us had remembered to put into the dryer. We discovered this at 3.46 a.m. <laughs> we didn't get to sleep until like after five and there's no amount of sleep you can get when you no. fall asleep after five no. where you wake up feeling like, I feel refreshed and good. The only saving grace is that it's still dark enough in the mornings that like the sun wasn't starting to come up. That's right. That's the worst. It's the worst. But yeah, I'm tired too. But you're feeling stoked also. Oh man, yeah. Because the 
flip side of that coin, all of that really late night working last night, oh my gosh, I got so much cool stuff done for our live show. Like I really uh, rounded a couple corners and I'm super excited about it. And I just revisited my work this morning, just now before we started recording the podcast. And it's just all rock solid. Uh, Everything is just like working in a really cool, very slick, automated kind of way. And it's and it's done and I, it's great. Awesome. I, I'm so happy about all of that. So good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a couple different ways. Uh, one On one side, I'm feeling engaged and stimulated. Like I'm enjoying, like I've got tasks to do. I'm doing them. They're interesting. They're challenging. They're That's, fun. It's you like know. the more intellectual way to say what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like stoked. I said it the California way and you said it like the brainy way. Well, I was I'm looking, engaged and stimulated. I was looking at my feelings list because that really helps me kind of identify how I'm feeling. See, like looking at words on a list. They don't have stoked on they, the list. They, is the don't, problem. they don't have stoked on the list. They, they should add it. Um, and then I'm also, I've, I've been feeling and I have feeling this way a little bit today too. A little bit like... Um, uh, the words I identified were fragile and nervous. Interesting. <laughs> Say more. Not, and it's, it's like a little, it's like a dash of those things, right? It's not like per, a pervasive feeling, but they're definitely there. And Just it's like a little seasoning on top of your main dish of emotions. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. And it's, and it's around the, like just building this whole new show. Um, you know, when, whenever we have prepared a live show to go out, when we, you know, back when we were doing like, you know, four months of house concert touring every year, even though we were in this rhythm and doing that all the time and doing, you know, doing, doing it regularly, still, every time I would prepare a new show, there's all these feelings of like, just vulnerable feelings of like, is this good? Are people going to like enjoy this? Will they connect with it the way yeah. I want them to? You know, like, and, and so I, I, I've worked so hard to build this show and like I really have a good grasp on what it is I'm going for, what it is we're going for with the, you know, what we want to bring people, the experience we want to give them here. Yeah. Um, And really knowing that though, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like going for like, a big swing yeah. in a baseball game. You yep. know, you're like, okay, that strike is coming my direction. I know exactly what it's doing. And you're, you're like Babe Ruth pointing your bat out yeah. at center field. <laughs> and so I'm going for that big swing. And here's the thing, like I could connect yeah, and it could go or I could whiff. And I'm feeling a little bit of the, what if I whiff? And I don't think I'm going to actually whiff, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I it just, there's always this like, what have I done? You know, well, it's, yeah. The nice thing, I think, just to sort of uh, provide hopefully like a little counterweight to that for you, mm-hmm. is that like you're no longer the only person on stage. Well, it, you yeah. know, and I'll be there and I'll be uh, thank hel- you, but helping and adding energy thank- and you don't have to shoulder the whole burden yourself. Yes, thank you, but it doesn't matter at all in terms mm-hmm. of the feelings that I'm dealing with. Like, Fair. <laughs> Fair, yeah. It's the whole Because it's not rational, really. It's, well, it's... Is it? It's maybe it's not rational, but also it's just the whole enterprise, and it's part of the deal. Yeah. When you when you do something creative, when you do something challenging, and that feels bold to you, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's rational arguments that you know the feelings aren't that 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 you shouldn't that that you wouldn't necessarily need to feel these vulnerable. They just it, it just is like it's it's a it's just, it's a risky endeavor to yeah. do something creative like this. So, you know, when you're doing creative stuff, I firmly believe that, like, if you're not 
a little bit out of your comfort zone, you're not doing it right. That's what David Bowie says. David Bowie said. I like Davey Bowie. Dave, I, I just, I, I heard, I was getting ahead of myself. I was on the word Bowie when I was saying the word David and it yeah. all got, anyway. So yeah, you're right. He's like, he, there's that famous clip, video clip of him that has been going around a lot over the last few months too. Like, again, it kind of made a, a resurfacing. Yeah. Where he's like, you know, if, if, you, if you're not a little bit out of your depth, then you're not doing your job, basically. Yeah. You know, I'm not getting the quote a little bit wrong, but you know, that's you're right. That's that's part of the bargain. Yep. It's also just part of the bargain of living life. It's not just for creative people or for artists. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's it's what we do when we answer the call to push ourselves a little further into whatever it is that we're that we want and that we're you know moving toward in our lives. It's it, vulnerability is just part of the deal. I'm so reminded I'm in this moment of that moment in the Monty Python movie when one character is saying to the other, but you know, I'm a Scorpio, so I just never know what to expect. But he doesn't quite finish the word expect because he gets shot in the neck with an arrow. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> well, uh, it's like that. It's like that. And I've not seen that Monty Python movie, so. I'm totally unsurprised. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so shall we uh, get into the meat of things here Jamie I'm under the impression that you've got an item for us that will help us get less dumb class anyone anyone oh my gosh I do so this is not like necessarily the cheeriest oh gosh let's get less dumb could you work on that please yeah <laughs> so life expectancy Oh, Let's oh, talk about oh. life expectancy in the United States. All right. uh, there was a fascinating article about this uh, on NPR. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted, to, I excerpted some little bits and I just want to talk through them. Okay. Uh, because, you know, it made me feel less dumb, slightly more bummed. <laughs> it's like, let's get more bummed. <laughs> let's get more bummed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm just going to uh, read here and we'll chat and we'll read and we'll chat. Okay. A little chat, a little okay. read. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, it. So, uh, just before Christmas, federal health officials confirmed that life expectancy in America had dropped for a nearly unprecedented second year in a row, mm -hmm. down to 76 years. While countries all over the world saw life expectancy rebound during the second year of the pandemic after the arrival of vaccines, the U.S. did not. Hmm. Then, last week, more bad news. Maternal mortality in the U.S. reached a high in 2021. Hmm. Also, a paper in the Journal of the American Medical Association found rising mortality rates among U.S. children and adolescents. Mm. Uh, quote here from the JAMA paper's lead author, Stephen Wolf. Uh, this is the first time in my career, he says, that I've ever seen an increase in pediatric mortality. Wow. It has been declining in the United States for as long as I can remember, he mm. says. Uh, it's just what he's, and he says now it's increasing at a magnitude that has not occurred at least for half a century. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, across the lifespan and across every demographic group, Americans die at younger ages than their counterparts in other wealthy nations. Hmm. How could this happen in a country that prides itself on scientific excellence and innovation and spends an incredible amount of money on healthcare? The population keeps dying at younger and younger ages. And it's funny, right? Because I read that, I read the part where the, the journalist was like, how could this happen? And I'm like, yeah, dumbass, how indeed? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I was wrong. It's you were not, wrong. Yeah, I was wrong to be like, to make the assumption that they were just sort of both sidesing it, you know? You know how sometimes journalists, what do you, mean? you know how sometimes journalists can 
play dumb a little bit. Yeah, like, okay. Like pretend that they don't know why something, when we all know the answer. And I was like, we all know the answer to why. It's because we don't have, you know, universal health care. Oh, okay. And that was sort of my assumption. This is your assumption. Yeah, okay. but that's, it's not exactly as simple as that. It's, okay. really, it's kind of interesting. And this all is right. sort of the let's get less dumb part. We're getting less dumb. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, Americans are used to hearing about how their poor diets and sedentary lifestyles make their health bad. Uh, it can seem easy to brush that off as another scold about eating more vegetables and getting more exercise. Uh, but the picture painted uh, in this Shorter Lives report could shock even those who feel like they know the story. American children are less likely to live to age five than children in other high-income countries, the authors write on the second page. It goes on. Even Americans with healthy behaviors, for example, those who are not obese or do not smoke, appear to have higher disease rates than their peers in other countries. Mm. The researchers cataloged what they called the U.S. health disadvantage. Mm. The fact that living in America is worse for your health <clears throat> and makes you more likely to die younger than if you lived in another rich country like the UK, Switzerland, or Japan, for example. Mm -hmm. We went into this with an open mind as to why it is that the U.S. had a shorter life expectancy than people in other countries, says Wolf, uh, who chaired the committee that produced the report. After looking across different age and racial and economic and geographic groups, he says, what we found was that this problem existed in almost every category we looked at. So, like, including wealthy people, mm. including white people. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... It's across socioeconomic it's, and racial boundaries. Yes, which floored me. I uh -huh. was so surprised. Uh, continuing. Yes, Americans eat more calories and lack universal access to health care. But there's also higher child poverty, racial segregation, social isolation, and more. Even the way cities are designed in the United States makes access to good food more difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Like you've but been some of those things, though, sound like they would that that like wealth would insulate you from some of the things you just. It does just sound mentioned. like that, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, keep listening. Okay. Um, there are some things Americans get right, according to the Shorter Lives Report. The United States has higher survival after age 75 than do peer countries. So, like, if you make it to age 75, from there on in, you're, like, your odds dramatically are better. So, like, it's kind of like, can you get to 75? Like, oh, my gosh. That's like the weird reality show we're all on. Oh, like, God. Survive to 75. Oh, my God. Hey, that's catchy as shit. That's <laughs> but also very dark. Um, so, uh, and, and the United States also has higher rates of cancer screening and survival, better control of blood pressure and cholesterol levels, lower stroke mortality, lower rates of current smoking, and higher average household income, right? And these mm -hmm. are all things that map positively to health outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, this person, this other person uh, who's involved in the test, thinks the federal government should try harder to fix the problems documented in the Shorter Lives report. He doesn't think that lack of public awareness is the problem. <laughs> uh, a quote from him here, I really think that most Americans know that Americans are more overweight and obese and that we have higher rates of disease and live shorter lives in other countries, he says. It's just that the NIH and the CDC don't want to take the responsibility for that failure or to do anything about it. Okay. <laughs> According to the Shorter Lives Report, the uh, important point about the U.S. health disadvantage is not that the United States is losing a competition with other countries, but that Americans are dying and suffering at rates that are demonstrably unnecessary. I didn't excerpt it here, but in the article, there was this fascinating anecdote about how this person, uh, Sani is his name, last mm -hmm. name, Dr. Sani, uh, he convened this sort of roundtable of politicians and health experts, some from Canada, uh, mostly from America. He's an American. 
American person, mm-hmm. you know. So it was like in Washington, D.C., but they also brought experts from north of the border because mm-hmm. they're our neighbors, but they have such better health outcomes than us, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And the, the anecdote was fascinating. Apparently, across the board, from the, pe- the people from the NIH and the CDC were not interested in hearing uh, solutions. They were specifically what? not interested in hearing non-American solutions. Their basic attitude was that this is an American problem. We have to have American solutions. And also, apparently, none of them was interested at all, and this is perhaps not surprising, in as the representative for their organization taking responsibility for it. No one at the NIH wanted to be like, yeah, we could do better. And no one at the CDC wanted to be like, we could do better. Both of them apparently were like, ah, we're doing great. We're doing the best we can and we're doing great. When clearly all the data show, beyond the shadow of a doubt, very, very clearly- We're not doing great. Demonstrably not doing great. Yeah, it's just really interesting. So there's this interesting what? cultural problem also. And that, I mean, that could be a whole other rabbit trail. They didn't oh go into God. it in this article, but I'm just imagining that like, Maybe we need a complete culture change, you know? Maybe, like, maybe, like, people who are incentivized mostly to keep their luck's appointed position, mm-hmm. maybe that maybe there's something there that runs counter to the actual, what should be the actual mission of these agencies, mm-hmm. which is to take responsibility and ask the hard questions, you know? Like, it shouldn't yeah. be that, like, if you're the director of HHS, like, that it should just be, like, a fun job, and, like, you've reached a pinnacle, and now you can just chill. Coast. You know? Yeah. It should be probably the hardest work of your life. Yeah. I know that like just in like you're in my personal example like the more that we achieve the harder everything gets yeah. <laughs> it's not like things get easier as we sort of become more accomplished in our right. chosen field I, and I don't think it should be that way for other people either it really like comes down to how those folks are evaluated in their jobs and if they can like propagandize the fact that they're doing great and people are doing great and we're doing a great job in in order to keep their job. Whereas if they were actually judged on actual outcomes, then the story might be different and the incentives might align differently. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like there's way too much politics in the NIH and CDC is what you're telling me. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, we saw that you know, in real time during the pandemic, like neither of those agencies acquitted themselves very honorably. You know, it was really depressing to see people, medical professionals, like saying things that ran counter to medical best practice because they thought they would get in trouble (sighs) or look bad or have more difficult a time of it if they were to do the other thing, which would be to take responsibility and work and do what they know is right and work the hardest they can to fix it. Yeah. It's really sad. The closing uh, little bit here okay. that I excerpted, um, you know, this this person I was citing earlier, some of the policies he's identified as helpful include universal, better coordinated healthcare, mm-hmm. and it's just obvious, yeah. right? Strong health and safety protections, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the federal level, right? you know? Um, broad access to education. Like mm-hmm. there is a correlation between education outcomes and health outcomes. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, and more investments to help get kids off to a healthy start. You know, when we were seeing all of those pandemic era investments in yeah. like pre-K and young person like uh, wellness and quality of life stuff. There was a child tax credit that yeah. families were getting extra money to feed and clothe their kids yeah. <laughs> every month. Worked out really well for a few years there. It, it cut child poverty in half. Yeah. And we know that poverty is directly correlated with health outcomes, which means we're also cutting yeah. uh, unnecessary disease and sickness and illness. And, mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, he says uh, he says uh, that these policies are paying off for other countries and good for Americans I'm too. I'm still puzzled though, because like 
there, you're still citing things like poverty relates to health outcomes. But earlier on, the, the article was saying that the bad health outcomes cross all socio socioeconomic boundaries. It's really interesting, so I, I isn't it? How do you square that? I don't. I still don't quite you get know, that. You know, it's a great question, and it wasn't addressed any further in this article. Oh. I know they left that dangling, like this little interesting clue, and well, then didn't I follow feel, up on it. I feel dumb all over again. You feel more Thanks. dumb? Yeah. Let's get less and then more dumb. Yeah. yeah. I know. Uh, you know, they didn't follow up on that adequately, and I was super interested about yeah. that. Okay. Uh, but I don't have anything further on that for you. I'm very sorry. Well, that is unsatisfying. Yes, it is. I know. <laughs> it's really true. But thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So, uh, you know, life expectancy people, going down. Get to 75. Get to 75. That's your, that's your goal. Then you're good. <laughs> <laughs> then you're good. Um, so, Jamie, I am under the impression as well that you are coming looking for a gold star today. Ah! I totally am coming for a gold star. So, here is my petition. Okay. 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 Uh -huh. So, the show that you and I are putting together yeah. for this theater show in Sacramento, yes. people mm -hmm. buy your tickets, bstreettheater.org. Link is in the show notes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, that's theatry, like they do in Britain. Uh, <laughs> So it's a, it's a new kind of show for us. Everyone who's seen us play in the last scene, you play, really, in the last like decade, has just seen you sitting at a keyboard playing essentially an acoustic show. Mm -hmm. I've been firing off some limited environmental cues and whatnot for mm -hmm. my little iPad controller that yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. But mostly it's just a solo acoustic show. Well, people, that's over. That is in the freaking rear view. We are now <laughs> doing a full-on, uh, like, two-person synth-pop show. Straight up. It's much it's more... so fun. It's like seeing... Uh, I don't know, let me pull out like an old-fashioned example. It's like seeing Pet Shop Boys or yeah. something, you uh -huh. know, or Erasure. It's that classic two-person, like a front person, that's Shannon, you know, just out front with a microphone, owning the stage, uh, engaging people, and then me backing off to one side uh, at a keyboard, uh, playing keyboards and uh, running the show. So it's the running the show part mm -hmm. uh, that I want to talk about because, oh my gosh, this is a technically complicated show. Uh, there's a number of moving parts. So we're, we're working with a lot of uh, what's known as backing tracks, right? So that's where a lot of the show is just kind of coming off of tape, but mm -hmm. it's computer these days, mm -hmm. you know? But it's pre-recorded. Uh, and then, you know, I'm adding synthesizers on top and Shannon's doing live vocals, you know? But it's neat because it's kind of the best of all worlds. It's a nice minimal stage presentation, but a big sound and it's just it's very enveloping it's very fun mm -hmm. uh but there is all this technical stuff that has to happen to make it work another component of it is that we have engaged we've talked about this before this amazing video artist to make he's making videos like video art for every single song during the so cool. entire show but the i've been watching you for weeks now figuring out how to make all that happen like the idea is simple yeah We've got music going. We've got video going. There are different sources of the music. There's a, like, it, it just sounds like yeah. it should be easy. Yeah. But actually, like, working all that stuff out technically, 
it lo- it's a massive puzzle. It is a massive puzzle. And there are just so many weird, fiddly, technical considerations. That, like, I didn't know a single goddamn thing about video before I started this. Yeah. I knew very little abstract bits, you know? But, like, there's... It's really interesting. Like, literally, like, the cables that you have connecting <laughs> things together... It all matters. Like, like, it all matters. If you get the wrong cable, you could cut your data transmission rate in half, and now you can't do 4K video. You can only do 1080p. You know what I mean? There's or like, there's latency, and so it looks like it's behind. Or like, there's all sorts of like, there's all sorts of stuff. And, that, yeah. and also, like, I'm at my little station on stage. You know, my, all this stuff is coming out of my computer. Well, what if the projector that the venue has is located at front of house, a hundred feet away? Yeah, right. That's a mixing board in the middle of the crowd, right? That you've seen that when you go to a show, people. Uh, sometimes that can be the case. So it's like, okay, how do I get? HDMI 100 plus feet away from me with no latency so that when it gets beamed back up at the screen it syncs up exactly with what Shannon's singing and what we're doing musically, right? These are not trivial technical considerations. Suffice to say that I did dozens and dozens of hours of research about all this stuff Mm -hmm. and started investing little pieces of gear. And that's the other thing. We're not blindingly rich. Like we're supporting, we're funding all of this stuff ourselves. It's like a big upfront investment for us, you know, to do this first iteration of the show. Um, so we had to, like, I had to really be very careful about what we got and make really good budget conscious decisions, mm-hmm. which made it much harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know how it is. Like, if you can just go to the window store and buy the nicest window, that's easy. Getting a really nice window that will last you 30 years, but that costs half the money, that takes a lot of research. You know, anyone who's ever, like, redone their windows knows that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? What's the not, what's, what's the one that everyone doesn't know, but it is just as good? That's hard. Yeah. And that's what I kind of had to do. Uh, and then there's, you know, that's on the video side. Uh, and then on the music side of things, so the, again, the concept, very simple. I want to play synthesizers along with the music. Well, how does that actually work as I'm coordinating like mm-hmm. all of the backing tracks and how those get triggered with the with the controller keyboard that I'm using to plug into the computer and, and the sound source has to come from the same place and all of the programs that make the sounds, like all of the synthesizer programming that appears under my fingertips mm-hmm. has to show up there. Listener, does your brain hurt? Oh my gosh. My brain hurts listening to There's Jamie talk so, about this every single I know, time I've been does. trying to make it simple, yeah. but yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's like, it's so complicated, you can only make it so simple. It's very, very complicated. Suffice to say that yesterday I had this really amazing kind of watershed turning point moment. A breakthrough, you might say. I might. And, uh, and yesterday, two things happened. One, uh, I got video going over Ethernet uh, to a projector yeah. running in sync Woo! with the music. Oh my gosh, what an amazing moment How that rewarding. was. And second moment, by the end of last night, that ridiculous workday that we were talking about that went until nearly four in the morning, by the end of that last night, I had a situation going where... All of the synthesizer sounds that I needed to be playing for all the different songs in the show mm-hmm. were being loaded automatically at the beginning of the song in an automated fashion. So literally, I don't have to do anything about it. I just play the right notes on the keyboard and it's the right sound at it's the cool. right volume for the right song. It's very cool. And it's all automated and it's all just done and taken care Woo-hoo! of. So now all I have to do is not play the wrong notes. Right. Which just- is a much easier job than figuring all this <laughs> shit out. <laughs> so... You would like a gold star. I just kind of feel like I had a lot of successes, you technically did. speaking. I'm just wondering what you think about I that. I think you absolutely deserve a gold star. Oh, yeah. It's impressive. I And I'm so grateful that you, 
A, have the ability to actually work all this technical stuff out. You're just saying I'm a nerd. And I, it's You true. are. I'm grateful that you're a nerd. Yeah. And also that you've put in the time because it's it's not enough just to be a nerd. It's not like you automatically knew how all this. You had to learn <laughs> yeah. a lot. And I've watched you do that. And like, I'm, I'm just so grateful for Aww. all that you put into that. Well, thanks. And I'm stoked too. And the neat thing about it is this kind of stuff too, now that it's all just kind of in place, it really is just all going to be plug and play. Like the basic way this is going to work from here on in is we're going to be able to show up at a place with my little controller keyboard, my little rack and a stand for each of them. And they're, they're all just sort of form around me in this little nice L shape. I plug, I plunk them down. Like I put the two things on the stands. I plug them together with literally one cable and I turn it on and everything is ready to go. We just like, yeah, we, give we, inputs to the to the venue and here we go. Yeah. Which is great because we plan to do this show a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. We're, we're working on it. We are working on it. It's very exciting. Well, gold stars for you, Jamie. Thank you, Very, Sarah. very, very impressed. Awesome. With all of that. So, uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. Yeah, so... <sighs> it just feels unavoidable to not... Like, we, we can't not talk about the latest school shooting in the United States. Like, yeah. I, I've seen various statistics f- being uh, posted around the last couple of days. Um, some had said that, like, like there have been like 39 school shootings so far this year. Like, I don't know. It's it's just a ridiculous number. Yeah. Like it, and, and in terms of mass shootings, like there've been more mass shootings than there have been days in the year so far. Like it's, yep. it's just. Which is standard for this country. Yeah. There's always more, more uh, shootings than there are days in a year. Yeah. There's, there's more than one per day. And my first. Mass shootings. My first reaction to this, and I had first taken notes about this for the podcast uh, sometime yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, like, it's the guns. That's it. Hmm. It's the guns. Obviously. That's the issue. No other country in the world who has the kind of uh, wealth and government that we have has a gun problem. We have the problem. It's the guns. It's yeah. not all these other red herrings that people want to throw out about it's about family structure and it's about mental health and it's about blah, blah, blah. No, it's the fucking guns. Yeah. Because equal amounts of, you know, whatever other problems you want to identify exist in other countries who, when they had like their first major, you know, mass shooting years ago, decided, oh, we need to outlaw these guns that can commit that can be used by a human to commit mass murder. Yeah. We're going to outlaw them. Guess what? They don't have mass shootings you can in look those at, places anymore. You can look at like the United Kingdom as an example. They're a very comparable yeah. country to the US, you yeah. know? Uh, they're sort of like the British version of us, really. Or we're like the American version of them. Yeah. You know, kind of sister countries in a lot of ways. A lot of the same social problems, a lot of the same economic issues, a right. lot of the same tensions between right-wingers and left-wingers. It's, it's very similar, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They've had one mass mass shooting in the last 15 years. And we've had like two in the last month. You know what more I mean? More than that. No, it's been more than that. We've oh, had right. more Could- mass shootings than there have been days in this year already. Yes. Yeah, it's just, it's insane. Uh, you you had this on your list, but I I had it on mine too, uh, the, to talk about that gun deaths is that it's the a, a gun is the leading cause of death for kids and teens in the United States. Yeah. The number one cause of death for teens and kids in the United States 
is guns. Like it used to be car crashes, automobile accidents, that it's kind of thing. The guns. And I just, when I was first taking notes about this for, for the podcast, I just, that's kind of all I wanted to say. It's the guns. We need to ban assault weapons. And no more debating unserious people about it. Like, I, the end. I didn't want to, like, I really didn't want to say more than that. Yeah. And then I came across something that a friend uh, posted on Instagram that they reshared from this, uh, this guy, Khalil Green. Mm -hmm. He was so engaging and great. He calls himself the Gen Z historian. And he creates content for TikTok and Instagram, you know, uh, about history from a Gen Z perspective, which is <laughs> wonderful. He was super smart and engaging. But it was it was an interesting enough conversation that I wanted to bring it up here. And like and it started with the premise of like why, why do we here in the United States have this epidemic of gun deaths and this like in in what's the word I'm looking for? Intractable. Intractable, you know, gun epidemic here and like in this in this country where countries that are like us around the world just don't have this problem like it's not part of the social fabric in the way that it is here in the United yeah. States and so he was kind of look, looking at that um in this in this video that he posted and he he talked about the 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 that it 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 comes from this sort of like um ideological framework um that where in what in which common people is this is how he defines it common people uh should be fearful of some violent other, and that's in quotations, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a perception of an other as being violent, mm -hmm. right? Might not be true at all, mm -hmm. but like common people should have this fear of a violent other and that they should therefore be armed to mm -hmm. protect themselves against this violent other. Mm -hmm. And that this, this ideological framework has been part of the United States since before its founding yeah. in ways that don't mirror other countries. And so this is maybe one explanation for why we have this, like, why I've, we're enslaved to the gun culture here in the United mm -hmm. States, where people in the debate, there's no debate in the UK. There's no debate about it in Australia. There's no debate. Like, they just dealt with it when it needed dealing with. Yeah. And they didn't have this, like, other, you know, thing getting in the way of making laws to protect people. Yeah. And so he breaks it down. He's like, we were taught in school that the other, mm -hmm. like, when the Second Amendment was written in, into the Constitution, you know, and all that. We're taught that the reason for it was that the the violent other that Americans were fearing, the common people were fearing at that time, was a potential tyrannical rule by the British. Right. Like so the British yeah. were the 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 violent other. Yeah. Right. That's what we're taught in school. However, if you look at American history, even before well before there were even any anti-British tensions in mm -hmm. the United in, mm -hmm. in what would become the United States. So pre-revolutionary America, yeah. there were there were there was a law passed like in Virginia, for example, that uh, required all white men to own a gun and report to these paramilitary training exercises every week after church uh, for the purpose of protecting white white uh, uh, settlers from the violent other of Native Americans. Mm. So even before there was this threat of British tyranny, which is the reason we all are taught that the Second Amendment is very important, mm -hmm. the gun culture was taking hold well before all of that to protect from... I mean, And yeah, of to, course, when a bunch of settlers move into a country that 
they are not from and decide that it's theirs for the taking and there are people living there already <laughs> who are trying to defend their own homeland, you know, like, yeah, like the, you can expect there's going to be a power struggle, yeah, right? They're going to be maybe mad about that. They're going to maybe be mad about that, exactly. So the origin, but the point here is that the origin of gun culture is racism. Like yeah. that is the, the, in this country, the origin of gun culture is racism and is, it's a way to violently exert control of others so as to protect the racial hierarchy. Mm. Like that, that was the, the, the birth of gun culture in this country is wrapped up exclusively with racism. Um, and, and, and of course, when- Or colonialism, colon- which well, is a variant on that, right? But it's not necessarily explicitly tied to race, is it? And I'm just, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but it strikes me that this central tension was not that it was brown-skinned people versus white-skinned people. It's that it was people who- owned and lived on land and other people trying to take it from them. Sure. And the skin color was a coincidence. They well, could have been white people trying to take land from white people and the white white people they were trying to take it from probably would still have re- responded violently. Except for then, you know, when when slaves, when people started enslaving other humans yeah. and, you know, like, like those, you know, paramilitary, like, anti-Native American folks and the American cowboy that we revered, you know, going out and, like, protecting mm-hmm. protecting their families in these new settlements from the Native American people. You know, those those all those folks transformed into, like, uh, uh, people who are protecting or who are, who are like, uh, going after, like, runaway slaves, you know, when yeah. during slavery. And, like, um, when post-Civil War, when when Black Americans were, were given uh, freedom, Mm-hmm. legally, mm-hmm. you know, the violence only increased, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's always been about power rooted in hierarchy tied to race. Like you can't, you kind of can't like untangle all of that. You know what I mean? Like it's always been part of that. And the thing is that gun sellers have propagandized this sentiment yeah. even more. Yeah, for Stoking sure. fear of the other, uh, Specifically and and cynically, just to drive up gun sales. There was mm-hmm. the, in this in this TikTok or in this Instagram thing that I saw from uh, Khalil Green. He he uh, shows a, a, a book written by a guy who who was a gun seller for like a long time. Like mm-hmm. and he sort of like wrote about like the tactics of mm. like how 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 they convinced people to buy more guns. Sales strategies for guns, that kind of thing. Yeah, and th- this this whole like violent other thing is something that exists in like the American imagination, but it's just not really the case. Like, I mean, I know you can turn on Fox News and whenever, especially when they want to ramp up like, you know, uh, you know, support for some like fascist candidate, they they ramp up the news about like, you know, crime and immigration, illegal immigration. And they, and sure. you know, that Trump with his, you know, way back when he, before he, when he was first running for president calling, you know, Mexican immigrants rapists. And, you know, they're, they're always ramping up this idea of the violent other, right? Like there's, that's a constant I recall theme. before the last election, uh, I forget the precise numbers, but Fox News was running multiple stories uh, in their primetime lineup every single night for the months leading up to the election about violent crime in America being out of control. And the day after the election, 
those stories just fell off a cliff and just completely stopped. Right, right. It's almost as like there actually wasn't an epidemic of exactly. violent crime. Exactly. Because there wasn't. It's just something they know they can use to push people's buttons right. who so aren't smart enough to think for themselves. That organization, as an arm of the, the right-wing extremist faction in this country, uses that propaganda mm-hmm. to fuel support for their candidates and anti anti. anti, anti anti-sentiment of, you know, people on the other side of the aisle or whatever. Gun sellers have propagandized this violent other to, just to sell guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, it, and so it lives in our imagination. We were having a conversation with a neighbor yesterday who stopped by, and I was shocked to hear him talk about how he, how, the kind of guns he stores. And, and, I, and, it, and I was shocked to hear him talk about, like, his sort of, like, paranoia. And he's an older gentleman, and he might be kind of, like, becoming a little bit more paranoid, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and so there's there's some of that in there, but like this, this like, this exaggerated, I, he was talking about these like, these scenarios. Here's why he keeps the guns, because if, he's, if he comes across somebody who's like mowing down innocent people, he's going to do something about it. And like, dude, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Like, and also like we live in a, a demonstrably safe neighborhood. Yeah, there it, is. Uh, there, there are car break-ins here and there. Sometimes would be how I would characterize the the depth of any kind of like crime problem we have in our little neighborhood here. There's never home invasions. There's never break-ins. You right. don't hear about that stuff. Like for sure, people will walk down the alley and like they will smash a window and try to get something out of the car. There are poor people <laughs> who are desperate and yeah, will try to get I'm stuff. Not but it's say, not like a gun situation. And I'm not trying to say that there is no crime, right? Like of course, there, it does, that those incidents do happen, right? But I, but like this conversation with this neighbor yesterday just like was an illustration to me of how pervasive is this like imaginary violence that's just, you know, permeating all of American society and therefore we need guns to protect ourselves, right? Like the propaganda has worked. Mm -hmm. Like it is. Totally worked. I mean, and also, like, he's not a Fox News type. No, you know what I not mean? at all. Like, he is a super liberal, like, Buddhist type. Yeah, ex- I, I was shocked. I yeah. was shocked. But, like, it's a really great illustration of how it's worked. And really, the point that I take from all of this and in thinking about this, it was an interesting way to think about this issue in a new way for me. Um, and the point that I that I took from it is that it's all connected. Yeah. Like, we, we talk a lot about, uh, on this podcast, about the issue of racism and how we can be... Uh, anti-racist, like what? How can we, you know, pursue anti-racist policies and and be anti-racist in our own lives, right? Like we talk about, we've talked a lot lately about the anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bigotry that's happening in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, all the culture wars. It's but the point is that I think it's it's all connected, and it's all about folks wanting to preserve their perceived power over others mm-hmm. who they label as violent or harmful or dangerous or whatever and and therefore justify the idea that they can have guns to protect themselves but to maintain a social status quo that favors them and that like it's it just it's all connected it is all the same right yeah. and 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 i just wanted to say like we don't have to be slaves to that limited harmful thinking like it's yeah. it is limited we can we could all be so much better off and so much more free in our lives if we just dismantle the damn hierarchy already, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, <sighs> there's so much, so much more is possible for us mm-hmm. than what we have limited ourselves to. And I just, I, I took it just as encouragement to just, let's keep doing that. Let's keep pulling on the threads to dismantle 
you know, in, in, in big and small ways that we can every day, this power structure that we have decided we're going to be slaves to in this country. We just don't need to be. Yeah, and you know, we haven't decided that. Uh, the vast majority of Americans are completely on board with everything that you've been saying. Yeah. Specifically, like gun regulations. Like right. all of the common sense gun regulations that you've been sort of alluding to here mm-hmm. as you've been talking are supported overwhelmingly by Americans. I mean like margins of two to one or greater. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, you know, 70 to 30 kind of mm-hmm. polling. It's just, it's uncontroversial. Mm-hmm. This is overwhelmingly what the people in this country want. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are political structural problems there's gerrymandering. That's there, there's, right. there's a lot of political manipulation that kind of makes it very hard to address this stuff, you know? And that's sort of the structural stuff that we need to focus on yeah. if we're going to be able to dismantle the hierarchy. Because everyone, mostly, not everyone, there's never an everyone, but overwhelmingly <laughs> the people in this country want that hierarchy dismantled. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean... And once we get to a point where the structure of our political system allows us to actually express the will of the people, we'll Mm. be in a much better place. Mm. It's just that there are very powerful people whose interests lie not in the will of the people being reflected, but rather in us experiencing the experience we're having right now. Because when we are stressed out and divided in this way, we're easier to manipulate and uh, it's easier for them to make profit, honestly. That's kind of it. Man, I just feel like having a gun, it feels like a way to exert unearned power over somebody else. You know what I mean? I heard somebody a couple of years ago describe uh, the benefit of a gun being that you could project force at a distance. Yeah. They didn't even say, uh, like the, 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 the way you say it is projecting force at distance. Oh, come on. And what an appalling thing to want to do. <laughs> but Wanting to project force, period, is kind of a fucked up thing I to want to do. But feel... wanting to do it without even having to get physically involved? I know. What the fuck? But I feel like it's a parallel to what you were just describing in terms of the the way that our political system is rigged right Mm -hmm. now to favor the minority, Mm -hmm. to give minority the kind of power that they have over the rest of us. Mm -hmm. You know, the minority of the population uh, is like, no, I want all the guns. (laughs) You know, the the majority of of us were like, no, this is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. People are dying every single day. Children are dying in their schools. Like, the majority of us are saying, no, but like it's, and, and to it's, be clear, inc- that's including the majority of right wingers too, the majority of Republicans. This right. is a this is a, a bipartisan response. But what I'm saying is the major the the that that minority position mm-hmm. about guns, for instance, is uh, is holding like undeserved power over the rest of us because yeah. of the way our system yeah. is giving them like they they've they've taken power that they shouldn't have yeah. as the minority yeah. and are holding us all hostage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like you maybe had some items on this gun issue that that might be more of like, a, okay, here's what we can do about it. Yes. And I really need to hear those things right now. That's good. <laughs> okay, so everyone is aware that we are big fans of Caitlin Jetalina. Uh, she blogs, uh, writes a newsletter under the... Noam Daguerre, your local epidemiologist. Mm -hmm. She was just a saving grace in the pandemic. And, you know, 
That was her focus uh, as an epidemiologist for the past few years. That was her public-facing focus. Mm -hmm. But epidemiology isn't just about diseases, you know? It's it's about public health in general, right. you know? Which means that it also is about gun violence. Right. Um, and she wrote a really helpful post uh, the better part of a year ago in, uh, in June of 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just apropos of whatever the most recent mass shooting was at the time. I mean, there are many of them. That was right after Uvalde. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I just wanted to uh, just touch on some of what she had to say because uh, she's like, there's a lot of stuff, if you're feeling stressed out about this, mm -hmm. that you can do right now individually. Mm -hmm. Like there is stuff that you can personally do right now. There's stuff that you can think about. There's mm -hmm. ways you can engage in your community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to sort of warn everyone listening. It's not like super easy. It's not like a pill you can take. You know what I mean? <laughs> and everything's going to be better. Yeah. Like it involves work. But if you're feeling stressed out and you want to direct some of your energy somewhere, here are some ideas. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, first of all, individual level approaches. Okay. Uh, number one, gun safety. 42% of homes in this country have at least one firearm. Uh, and additionally to that, 4.6 million kids live in homes with unlocked and loaded guns. Uh, between just 2015 and 2020, so in that five-year period, there were at least 2,070 unintentional shootings by children, so more than one a day mm -hmm. over that five-year period. Uh, and people, as we all know, are at an increased risk for suicide and homicide when a gun is in the home, right? Because you can take that bad impulse and do something very permanent, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so here's what this means. Firearm owners... Right. This reminds me of something you were talking to me about last night as we were showering, that like everyone thinks they're the responsible, every gun owner thinks they're a responsible gun owner. Right. Right. But obviously that's not true because there's all these people who are letting kids live with unlocked and loaded guns. Right. So like if you are a firearm owner and you are keeping your gun loaded and unlocked, you're actually a very irresponsible gun owner. The way that you could become a responsible gun owner is to focus on safe storage and to understand risk factors that can lead to crises and signs that someone is in a crisis, right? Like, as this is part of your responsibility. You know how, like, with rights come responsibilities? You know, like, mm -hmm. with the right to drive a car comes responsibilities. Like, you can't drive it while you're drinking, right? Mm -hmm. That's a simple example. And so with gun ownership, like, this isn't a law, but, like, it's just a responsible thing to do. If you are a firearm owner... It should be the law. It should be the law, yeah. But, I mean, how do you make it... So, I, I guess we could make it so there's mandatory education. Like, maybe everyone has to go through a mandatory licensing and testing. Sort of like for cars, you know? Maybe mm -hmm. you have to study a bunch of stuff and then take a test that demonstrates that you understand it. But the stuff that you th that's on the test is maybe about demonstrating that you understand what the risk factors are that lead to crises and the signs that someone is in a crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh she also says that firearm owners also need to change cultural norms around what safe, responsible firearm ownership looks like, right? Uh, Here's the thing, though. I, I'm, I know you've got ideas here, and it's good. They're not my ideas. Her ideas, I'm sorry. You've got ideas to share. I just, I'm listening to some of this, like, you know, being a responsible gun owner, locking it up, whatever. I'm just not convinced that owning a gun is responsible at all. Mm. Like, that's that's, I feel like, as part of the conversation here. Like, so, okay, you, you take responsibility for your gun. You've, you keep the ammunition separate from the gun itself. They're both locked up in a safe that only you know the combination to. Okay, so then you have a bout of, you know, depression out of nowhere and you feel like, you know, you're, mm. you can't go on. You've got the combination yeah. to the gun and the bullets and then you're dead. Yep. We have a friend who died by suicide. Yeah, gun. You know, 
I, I'm not actually positive about, about the circumstances, but like that's likely, right? Like if if the if it's the guns. It's the guns mm-hmm. at all. Like, I am just not convinced at all. Like, I appreciate this idea of, like, locking them up if you do have them and blah, 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 blah. But, like, I would just like to just put the idea out there that I'm not sure it's possible to have a gun responsibly. I just am not sure about I that. I totally respect and understand what you're saying. I want to offer a different viewpoint That's for fine. you. Uh, I grew up in Vermont. And Vermont has a hunting culture for food. People hunt... Don't, just hang on. People, okay. people hunt there for food and have just kind of as part of the culture just forever. Uh, deer season is a huge thing there. People will get as many deer as they can and load up a freezer and feed their entire family based on that. But you they're know? not shooting deer with AR-15s. No, they're absolutely not. They're, they're, they're using like hunting rifles, like, yeah. a, like, like sane people. Because if you want to actually eat the meat of the deer that you've shot, an AR-15 would blow that animal to smithereens and there wouldn't yeah. be any meat left. That's right. Yeah. It would be maybe better for making like pulled pork. Um, no. <laughs> pre-shredded pork. No. Just kidding. But, you know, uh, Vermont has uh, gun uh, statistics that are very, very different than the country as a whole. Like homicide, suicide statistics, way, way down, way, way different. Because that culture of sort of what what I would call responsible gun ownership is there. Like most people that I went to high school with or elementary school or whatever, like had a hunting rifle in their home, you know? Yeah, and we they were... were taught by their parents at a very young age in the same way that I was taught to ride a bike in a safe way and I was taught to wear a helmet. They're taught to how, like how to shoot, how to clean a gun, how to inspect it for safety and like how to make sure that it is safe. Like make sure that like there's not one left in the chamber when you're done. Make sure all all that kind of gun safety stuff. Like, it yeah. is possible to do, you know? So I just want to, to offer a, that counterpoint. Okay, it is possible to do, I will give you this, it is possible to do, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. the presence of that gun, even if it's stored properly, cleaned well, everybody knows how to properly use it, is still a potential for danger in that home. Sure. No matter what. Sure. No matter what. Sure. I think okay. that's true. All right, back to the what can we do? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, you're worked up, and I and, and that's fine, and, and you should be. That's totally okay. Thank you. Um, non-firearm owners need heightened awareness of guns in other people's homes. So, if you're a parent, here's something shocking: there's a one in three chance that the friend's house that your kid is going to has a gun in it. Mm. Right? One in three chance that your kid is going to a house with a gun in it. Just as you would ask about pets, allergies, and supervision before your child visits another home, we should normalize asking one more important question. Is there an unlocked gun in your house? Right? If Communication. I were a parent, it would be like, is there a gun, period. Fair. But I'm not a parent. Yeah. But yeah. Yep. My gosh. But like, that's a great yes, suggestion, it right? Is a great we suggestion. need to normalize just like talking about this. Yeah. Uh, her next suggestion is to build relationships and mentor young people. Uh, she says one of the main predictors of mass shootings and violence in general is isolation. Long term frustrations coupled with lack of support leads to social isolation, which can be devastating. We need to create healthy, honest, long term relationships with kids in our community. You can help. 
even if you don't have a kid, by volunteering as a mentor at after-school programs like uh, like Big Brothers or Boys and Girls Club, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. These programs exist in almost every community in America. So if you're concerned about gun violence, you can help. You can just go volunteer some of your time. It doesn't cost you anything. You get to build a relationship with a kid and maybe the relationship that you build with that kid helps keep them in a better space psychologically that and is they don't end up in the position where they feel like they need to act out like that. That is such great advice, and it's just good for society in general. Yeah. I also re kind of recoil a little bit because it sounds a lot like the argument that you hear from the the gun act, the gun rights activists types mm -hmm. saying that it's not the guns, we just need better connection, social connections. Yeah. No, man, it's the guns. If we didn't have access to these kinds of guns, we wouldn't have these kinds of mass murders. Yeah. That's in the data. Look around the world. You yes. know what I mean? So it's good, it's a good, it's a good bit of advice. It's I and I it's better, it's gonna, you know, be good for society in general. Yeah. But it also sounds a little bit a little bit like some of the propaganda I hear from the guns rights activists. Well, you know, you know I think I have a little personal, personally, a little bit of a different take on it. There's two different worlds we're kind of talking about here, you and I. Mm -hmm. We're talking, you're talking about a theoretical world in which maybe there aren't guns. And I'm, I think that Caitlin Jedalina here yeah, no, is I talking understand. about the actual world oh, in which they do exist. So listen, what can we do right now? That's great. And I, and as like I said, it's great advice, but like and, this and the mm -hmm. guns, like this is not instead of better gun laws. Yeah. This is not instead of banning assault rifles. Right. Banning AR-15s. Right. This is not instead of universal background checks and required registration and training for every gun owner. Well, I kind of, you know I, mean? I want to warn yeah. you that there's more things on this list. Awesome. And that every single one of them is about what to do in a world where there are guns. Okay. So I think we can probably just stipulate from here down that the better answer would be for there not to be these guns out there, mm -hmm. but we probably don't need to say it for every single one of the points because it's going to be true for every one of the points and it's going to be frustrating for every one of the points. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I, I get it. I get it. But like, it's important to identify that like these are not the only solutions. These are some like Band-Aid type things we can do that are good for society in general. Like, it's great. That's mm -hmm. great. That's great. Also, I'm not... It's not. It's not a. It's not a imaginary world to have a country where there are good gun laws. Yeah. That actually exists on planet Earth. Yeah. It can also exist here, mm -hmm. right? So it's not. Yeah. I'm not it's and not, realistically, it's not going to for some time. And so, you know, absent that solution, uh, there are some things that people can do if they're interested in being involved and if they're interested in putting some of their stressed out, freaked out energy that they have about this into productive solutions. So should I continue? Yes. Okay. We're not on. We're not on different sides here. This no, is. We're I, not I, at I, all on I, different I, sides I here. I know. I just. You know, if, if it feels unproductive to you for how you're feeling right now to talk about these, admittedly non-legislative, non-big sort of band-aidy type things. If if that feels unproductive for you in the headspace you're in right now to talk about, I could absolutely just post a link and people could read about it on their own. No, I'm not. Because there's some interesting stuff here. But it, it doesn't have to I, I don't want to obscure the larger point, which is that yes, absolutely, uncontroversially, we need better gun laws in this country. And if that should be maybe the bigger takeaway, then I could just post a link to to the article and people could just read the rest of it themselves. No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I, I'm with you. Like I'm not I'm not anti any of this stuff. I just want to say yes and. Mm -hmm. Yes, ask your, you know, when your kids are going to the, the neighbor's house, 
Ask if there are guns there. That will protect you or your kid in the moment, right? Do that. And we need to continue advocating for better gun laws. Mm -hmm. All of it. Mm -hmm. It's not either or. And I'm just pointing out that sometimes what the gun rights activists do is throw these like red herrings at us and say, well, what we actually need is better mental health services in our mm-hmm, country. Mm-hmm. That's the real issue. Yeah. Don't, you know, just ignore the, ignore the millions and millions of guns. Yeah. It's not the guns. It's hundreds of millions of guns, actually. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm saying is like, it, it's, it's important to me that it's yes and. Sure. Yeah. Great. So please continue. Let's take that yes and as stipulated and let's move through uh, the rest of this list. Okay, fine. Okay. Uh, so, uh, the next thing that she has to say is just hear something, say something, right? According to data from the Violence Project, uh, 86% of mass shooters leak their plans. Mm. Uh, most of these leak to strangers, but that's only 22%. Uh, also, people leak to coworkers, 18%. Partners, 18%. And just friends and neighbors, 11%, right? Wow. So, like, these are cries for help, right? They're, they're evidence of a crisis that went unanswered, mm-hmm. and that lack of attention to that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, could have nipped it in the bud. Instead, it led to a mass shooting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the point here is that it's better to overreact, she says, than underreact. If someone comes to you with what looks like a crisis, uh, do something about it. You can go to Sandy Hook Promise. Uh, they have resources for reporting. Also, you can just call 911 absent any better idea. Like, if you think that someone's going to do something violent with a gun, just call 911. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that you can do. Uh, and, you know, I know that a lot of people, like, might hesitate. Like, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to get this person in trouble if I'm misinterpreting. You know what? If someone's talking in a way that makes it sound like they're going to be a danger to themselves and or others... Overreacting is better than underreacting, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, uh, the next thing uh, she says here is just be cognizant of the media. Um, mass killers, uh, generally speaking, over the last... Uh, over the last many years, have received more coverage than professional athletes and only slightly less than TV and film stars. Oh and, you know, fame-seeking mass shootings are on the rise. Uh, a criminologist term for it is performance crimes. So what you can do at home is do not like or react in any way to or even click on news stories that show the perpetrator's face mm-hmm. or that describe in detail their plans. Mm-hmm. So you know how you'll see, like, surely you'll see, like, a news article probably today about, oh, the Nashville shooter had a manifesto. The Nashville shooter, here's their name and picture. Here's the video. Here's the surveillance camera video of them entering the school. Don't engage. Don't engage with that stuff at all. Scroll on by. Like, if you share it, even with a very negative comment, that's what they want. They right. want everyone to know their name. They yeah. want to go out in a blaze of glory. Right. So like if you make it so that doesn't happen for people, what you will do is you will discourage the next potential mass shooter from doing that for that reason, mm-hmm. right? So that's a thing that you can do at home. Uh, and, you know, uh, if you happen to work in the medical environment, so like if you're a physician or if you are like a PA or a nurse, uh, you know, people like that have conversations with parents about car seats and vaccinations all of the time. They should also be talking about firearms. Mm. This is a little bit complicated because there are for sure states that have right-wing legislatures uh, or sort of libertarian streaks. You know, I'm thinking like Minnesota. <laughs> uh, there are a few places in the country that prohibit doctors from talking about firearms. What? Uh-huh. 
Oh yeah, God. I mean, you know, some of them are obvious ones like Montana. Some of them are not so obvious like Minnesota, you know? Wow. But Minnesota, I think like Wisconsin, like Vermont, has that hunting culture, but also has some right wings in the legislature and they want to make it. That's a right wing impulse. If you can't talk about it, you can't change it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was actually a very interesting court case uh, in Florida. Um, there was a lawsuit between physicians and the state because the state was trying to make a law that said that physicians cannot talk with uh, their patients or their patients' parents about firearms in the home. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, the physician sued and said, this is bullshit, we have the right to do that. And they actually won that case oh. at the Florida Supreme Court, which is an interesting precedent. It's a state Supreme Court level. It's not a, mm -hmm. you know overall Supreme Court level, so it's not precedent for the entire country. But it's encouraging mm -hmm. you know, that these cases can be won, I think, on a First Amendment basis. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, uh, that should be normalized probably. And you know, if you are somebody who works in, in, in the health field, in that way, mm -hmm. that's something that you can just do mm -hmm. with your with the people that you see. You know, you can talk with them because if you talk with parents about what firearm safety in the home looks like, mm -hmm. that could maybe just like because you know sometimes people just don't think about things; they just mm -hmm. don't think about it. You know, and I imagine that there are very well intentioned people out there who just have a locked gun that's in their like bedside table drawer and they don't really think about it. I don't mean locked, a loaded gun, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, I imagine that like they're really well intentioned; they love their kids; they're not anti. Social and if a physician were to say to them, hey, I just want to make sure you know if you have firearms around the home, they should be, you know, unloaded and they should be locked away, ideally bullets locked in a separate place in the gun, you know, maybe two locking situations. Uh, and I, I imagine that, that there would be some parents who would be like, oh, gosh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Of course I should do that, you know? I'm so sorry. Right? <laughs> okay. I don't think, yeah. Sometimes people don't think about obvious yeah. things. Yeah. It's a mistake to think that everyone is conscientious and thoughtful as you and I are. You know, uh, I'm I don't not think they are. That I am conscientious and thoughtful. You're extremely okay. conscientious and thoughtful but I'm not more than others. Myself to other people. Well, I'll do it. You are, uh, but you know, it's it, it's easy. I think when you're just like busy, overworked, frazzled, depressed, whatever your situation is as a human being, just just not to put pieces together about what seems from the outside like it could be really really obvious, mm -hmm. you know. So anyway, people, there there are some uh, you know personal level, individual level things that you can do. Uh, if you are feeling concerned about this, there's a couple of actual, like, real action items in there. Um, you know, you can go, you could, you could volunteer, you could befriend somebody, you know. Uh, it's not the solution we need, as Shannon so, so, so astutely pointed out. What we actually need is gun legislation. But, you know, it's going to take a while to get there. We know this to be true. Yeah. Uh, we, we just, you know, there's no point in being in denial about it, right? No, you're right. I think that the thing that I, like, the feeling I have right now listening to you talk about what Caitlin Jetlina shared about like things we can do. It just makes me sad. Oh, totally. It's like it's being in an so abusive relationship. Sad. Yeah. Like, man, the fact that we have, that we live in a place where we actually have to think about these things and implement these like personal protection related stuff. Like, man. Oh, it's horseshit. Gosh, it's just depressing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like it. We could do better. We could do so much better. I, yeah. I mean, it's an can we in this country? It's an open question, frankly. No. You know, I'd like to think we could. There might be structural issues, uh, you know, baked into the system that okay. might make it really hard. At one point, I don't want to sound fatalistic, but also I took to heart the history thing that you shared. You know, this is baked into the DNA of this country. It's true, but also, it, yes, and also. <laughs> In the 1700s, nobody thought that the French monarchy could be dismantled. Yeah. And it was. True. Nobody thought that, that uh, 
that the fledgling United States could throw off the British monarchy. And it did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there have been times in history where radical change has happened in a structural way. And you know what? Pluto just moved into Aquarius. That's right. And so honestly, people, the time is now. That's you know right. what I mean? The so, French Revolution and the American Revolution happened at the last time Pluto was in Aquarius. It only happens like every 250 right. years or so. So actually, very seriously, saying. this could be the sort of time when that kind of radical structural change could happen. So, so don't give up. That's right. And and it doesn't feel helpful to me to be like, I don't know if it'll ever change here. Like, yeah, it won't change if we if we keep telling ourselves that. Yeah, fair. It just won't. Yep. So we can do better. Let's Let's do better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about we cruise into the inspiration station? Let's inspiration do station. Um, I'd like to go first. Okay. I'm going to share a poem today that was written by one of our misfit stars. I love it. Jennifer wow. Henry Aww. is one of our misfit stars, and her poem, her excuse me, her poem was published in a literary journal this week. Yeah, that's uh, so cool. The the journal is called Consilience, and um. I just want to read her poem. It was so lovely. And so I'm opening the page now so that we can uh, read it. So uh, let me actually, before I read the poem, uh -huh. um, she wrote, there was like a sort of like a note of uh, from the author uh, that comes after the poem in the journal, but I think it's interesting to read the context before I read the poem. So Great. she says, the poem was written right after my husband and I visited, visited our house while it was in construction. Week after week, we saw the process of footings being dug, foundation being poured, the house being framed, and finally the roof. In my 20-year career in telecommunications, I've been exposed to structural calculations, concrete cylinder testing, and geological reports that ensure a successful and safe build. Mm -hmm. Structural calculations are done to guarantee the telecommunications tower, a structure that has antennas and equipment mounted on it to support a cell phone, cell phone use, can withstand winds or earthquakes in that area while carrying out the, while carrying the antenna load. Concrete cylinder testing tells us the concrete's compressive strength. Tests and studies are done when the immediate ecosystem of that area might be impacted by construction. There is due diligence for building a safe structure, where, whether it's a building or a tower. The human experience is, a, is full of a wide array of struggles and successes, as are construction projects. Hmm. When a person is struggling, how much personal excavation happens? They are forced to face themselves and their circumstance and excavate for their way out. Mm. We shift away the soil with a spade, examine our findings, and organize the best way out of the struggle. We all exist through a vast number of miracles in timing and science. I used words that reminded me of the landscape and construction to build this poem. The words flowed out of me as if all the moments spent witnessing telecommunication sites being built were for the creation of this piece. Aww. So that's the preamble to her actual poem, which is called Excavate. Stand in your truth, feast in your exposed glory, battles you've overcome, ruins that are immaculate, gleaming in exposure. Pour the foundation, one that can withstand pressure and heat, struck to the core and shaken. Dance with sunlight beaming on your face, receiving, awakening before all the stirrings, fight complacency, peer over the wall penetrate. Celebrate where your journey has taken you. Bifurcated roads you've explored. Pave new ones, not immune to erosion yet. Purposed, they exist in you. You've not yet begun to excavate in true quiet. Mm. Isn't that lovely? Thank you, Jennifer Henry. Thanks, Jen. That's she, rad. 
She shared that in our Misfit Star social network today. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. It's been published. It's out in the world. I'm going to share it with anyone who's listening to this podcast today. I love it. So, uh, do you have a link you can send me to I where that could be? will, yes. Okay, great. Oh, man. Well, good job, Jen. I love it. You know, it's so inspiring to me that uh, Jen's just out there writing her poetry and getting it published. I know. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. That's just what you, that's how you do it, people. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Good job. Well, uh, I've got one, okay. too. So uh, you and I made a new friend on Mastodon uh, relatively recently. His name is James Turner. And he has this uh, little newsletter that he writes. Uh, it's just, And I, I say little, I don't mean to like like put it down. It's not pejorative. It's that it's literally very small each day. It's just like Short. a little nugget of thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he writes it six or seven days a week. It's almost every day. Uh, he has a, his own business that he runs called Turner Creative. And uh, these are just thoughts that he has. They're sort of, you know, parallel to thought processes that he's having in his creative work, mm-hmm. you know. And this one was so great uh, for a couple of reasons. And so I'll just read it. He says... Maybe you've heard this quote from C.S. Lewis, the Narnia guy, before, but I hadn't. I just read it as a chapter intro in Paul Millard's book, The Pathless Path, which I'm loving and almost finished, and I've been thinking about it all day. It is so spot on and inspiring that I couldn't not share it. Uh, And so first of all, I love that it's a C.S. Lewis quote that he read as a chapter intro in someone else's book and inspired him, and he wrote about it, and now I'm reading about it to you. <laughs> That's cool, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just a little chain there. Uh, so here, here is the, uh, the quote. We are always falling in love or quarreling, looking for jobs or fearing to lose them, getting ill and recovering, following public affairs. If we let ourselves, we shall always be waiting for some distraction or other to end before we can really get down to our work. The only people who achieve much are those who want knowledge so badly that they seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable. Favorable conditions never come. (laughs) Yeah. Man, how inspiring. Favorable conditions never come. Um, he, sa- he says, uh, it makes me think of one of my favorite book titles ever, uh, ever from Seth Godin, What to Do When It's Your Turn, and It's Always Your Turn. Mm-hmm. That's the title of the book, right? And also uh, of The Waiting Place, that creepy interlude in the middle of Dr. Seuss's Oh, The Places You'll Go. <laughs> mm-hmm. He says, I feel this is a reminder I need constantly as my mind looks for reasons why it's not quite, not just yet, time to start. And he says, and this this reminder really works because you can have this little self-conversation. Are conditions favorable? (laughs) They never will be. Uh, No? Great, then it must be time to start. Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. I I loved reading that one too. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah, very inspiring. Thank you, James. Yes. That's been a nice addition to my daily reading. Yeah, I, I, I highly recommend that you uh, that you sign up for his his emails. They're, they're, they're small. They're very inspiring. I will put a link to do that in the show notes. Excellent. Yeah. Very cool. How about we wrap things up with a gratitude crank up? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going to say uh, it's funny because today is like this gray, windy kind of icky day mm-hmm. outside. I'm looking out the window. Yeah. But what I have written down is that I'm grateful for the spring blossoms that have been popping out everywhere around town. Mm-hmm. And I'm really needing to focus on that today because it's so outside. 
<laughs> but I really am grateful. Like it just feels like uh, the promise of spring coming that we're having sl- is that it's slowly arriving now. Yeah. It's really good for yeah. my spirit. How about you? I'm grateful that my little emotional downturn has passed. Oh, yeah. I was in a bit of a trough last week. Uh, and it's funny. Like I knew it and I sort of alluded to it a little bit with you around the house. And then I talked with you seriously about it on mm-hmm. Friday. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, it was kind of gone. <laughs> Funny how that works, right? <laughs> totally. Um, so I, I'm, I'm in great spirits now. Good. That's kind of how it is with me. Like every, I don't know, six, eight, I don't really know. I don't keep it in a calendar. But, you know, experientially, it feels like it's about that sort of chunk of time, you know, month and a half-ish. Every month and a half or so, not on a regular schedule, but, you know, every so often, I'll just have a week where I'm just kind of depressed a little bit, you know, and just not feeling very good about things, just down in my spirit. Uh, And I'm grateful that this one has ended. And I'm also grateful that, you know, writ more large, they tend not to last super long for me anymore. They used to last a lot longer when I was Mm. younger, you know. Mm. And these days it tends to be, you know, in the week, two weeks-ish kind of thing, you know, sucks, but certainly not as bad as it being like a month or two or six or a year or something, Mm -hmm. you know. So... Yeah, I'm feeling good and I'm grateful for that. Awesome. I'm grateful too for that. Oh, thanks, baby. Thank you so much for listening today, folks. We got into it today. This is a long episode. We We're got, at like an hour 18. I know. It's long. We also, it was passionate. Yep. Like it was full of fire. And well, you know, it's an appropriate time to be passionate. Fucked up stuff's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I thank you for sticking with us. And you know, like we aren't experts on any of this stuff. Nope. We don't have the answers. Just two people We're who just care. Two people who are trying to work it out just like you are. And so, you know, Think of this as like we've been sitting around, you've been sitting around in our living room with us trying to hash out what to make of all this stuff. And you know what? On that topic, if you have thoughts that you want to share with us about any of the topics we talked about, uh, we'd love to hear them. You can email either of us um, or both of us, jamie at misfitstars.com or shannon at misfitstars.com or both. And just, you know, if you want to, share your ideas we would love to hear them yeah um i have a shout out that i have to do that oh. i would be remiss were i not to do yeah. i was made aware of that cool npr story about life expectancy by misfit star rochelle J. oh sweet well, rochelle, thanks rochelle thank you. that was a great tip that was a great tip. yeah um and if you know we've already talked about what it means to be a misfit stars supporting member um you're just supporting our work yeah. yeah thanks and if you uh have been listening to this long conversation this long passionate conversation uh and you're like yeah i want more of this i think this is good stuff or you know let me frame it differently. We're going to do it regardless of whether you support us or not. If you want to be part of making it happen. I haven't even finished my sentence. Oh, I'm but sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. exactly. Yeah, okay. If you support this work, then it helps it. It helps us to keep doing it. That's uh, right. It helps us in a practical way to, uh, to, to keep funding the work, not just this podcast, but also all the music that we're making. Yep. That new song we're putting out on Friday. You You're- might notice that we give all our music away for free now. Yeah. It's just out there. You can download CD quality wave files. You can actually download better than CD quality mm. wave files on Bandcamp. So you can Free. go to misfitstars.com slash support. That's where you do it. Mm-hmm. It's just a small dollar monthly contribution. And put that together with all the other small dollar monthly contributions of all of our other Misfit Stars. And it actually makes a real difference. In it helps us so keep much, going. you guys. You don't even know. So thank you. Yeah. We'll be back next week. Yeah. We will see you then. 
Uh, we'll have more stuff to talk about. I sound like Mr. Rogers when I say that, and I love it every time I think about him <laughs> in his cardigan sweater Aww. and tossing the one shoe from one hand to the other. Yeah. It's a lovely image. Anyway, yeah. we'll see you next week. Until then, be good to yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. Bye. Bye.